Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of abuse and exploitation that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Eight-year-old Joni had hoped her visit to southwestern Spain in the summer of 1976 would introduce her to a world of wonder. But the disenfranchised town of El Palmar de Troya left much to be desired. Joni gripped her mother's hand as they tread the cobblestone street. Locals called her mother names and hurled rocks at her face. Joni clenched her eyes shut and kept walking, trusting her mom to guide her to the dusty field ahead. When they reached it, Joni opened her eyes to take in the scene. Beneath stars, hundreds of pilgrims waited all around. At the far end of the meadow, a group of priests appeared. Like pallbearers, they moved in unison, carrying a short, fat man in a golden gown on their shoulders. Joni stared as the priests lowered Clemente Dominguez Gomez mere inches from her. Without warning, the seer dropped to his knees. Joni watched his body quake and thrash. Enthralled, she convinced herself that this was one of his infamous visions. When he lifted his face to the moonlight, she cowered. His face was a mess. His eyes were missing, and his sockets were filled with flaps of skin. He raised his white-gloved hands to the sky, revealing stigmata wounds, like the ones Christ endured at his crucifixion. Blood streamed from the man's palms down his forearms, and Joni screamed in terror. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week in a one-part episode, we're diving into the Palmarian Church, a secretive cult that splintered off from the Roman Catholic Church in the 1970s. The group's leader, Clemente Dominguez Gomez, believed God chose him to succeed Pope Paul VI. The Catholic Church rejected him, but Gomez continued his mission and eventually raised enough money to build a massive multi-million dollar cathedral in Spain. Up next, we'll put Clemente Dominguez Gomez under the microscope. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Clemente Dominguez Gomez was born and raised in Seville, Spain, the city that housed the tomb of the explorer, Christopher Columbus. As a boy in the 1950s, Gomez must have frequented the pioneer's gravesite. Because of this influence, he likely crafted stories that his wayward father was a famed adventurer, too. But when his mother suddenly died during his childhood, Gomez quit idealizing his father, in part because his dad married a second wife, who reportedly didn't like Gomez. She had no interest in raising someone else's child and rarely spoke to the boy, unless ordering him to do chores. Gomez's father was rarely around. When the boy complained about his stepmother, it only pushed his dad farther away. This utter rejection may have sent Gomez spiraling towards disaster. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. University of British Columbia professor of social work, Edward Crock, wrote a compelling article on father absence. In it, he said that children with absent fathers report feeling abandoned when their fathers are not involved in their lives. In addition, fatherless children have more difficulties with social adjustment. Many develop a swaggering, intimidating persona in an attempt to disguise their underlying fears, resentments, anxieties, and unhappiness. Finally, father-absent children may struggle with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, and suicide. While not everyone without a father figure experiences these outcomes, Gomez grappled with the effects of feeling abandoned. He felt he had no home and often ran away for days. When he was home, Gomez struggled. At this time, he was likely discovering his sexuality, and bullies kicked him, teased him, and shouted at him for being queer. As a teen, Gomez began contemplating suicide. Luckily, Gomez eventually had a change of heart. He decided to fight through the pain and was overjoyed when he finally found acceptance. In his 20s, Gomez is rumored to have found refuge in Seville's underground gay community. At night, Gomez drew crowds in by performing at a bar as a female impersonator. He wore outlandish costumes and called himself La Voltio. In English, the name means the She-Volt. It was perhaps the first time Gomez felt he belonged. He realized if he put on a big enough show, people might love him for it. The problem was that under right-wing dictator Francisco Franco, vagrancy laws declared gay men and women to be criminals. So even though Gomez had finally garnered positive attention, society said that who he was was wrong. Due to the stigma of his sexuality, Gomez packed up his wig and looked elsewhere for meaning. While he wasn't religious, he was desperate to fit into the social norm. He thought Catholicism might help, so he applied to a seminary but was not offered admission. On the heels of this personal defeat, Gomez petitioned to join the military. However, an epilepsy diagnosis barred him from enlisting. Over the next two years, he accepted a handful of temporary jobs, but none stuck. Eventually, Gomez secured work as an office clerk, 
but it didn't change the fact that the first two decades of his life felt like a string of major disappointments. But in March of 1968, a miracle occurred that reshaped Gomez's entire existence. About 40 minutes outside of Seville, in a tiny farm town called El Palmar de Troya, four schoolgirls witnessed a dazzling apparition. One afternoon, the four girls cut across a field to make it home in time to help their mothers finish the day's chores. Amidst the dust and green, they swore they saw the Virgin Mary hovering above a flowering mastic tree. The Virgin was spectacular in a flowing gown, a warm light beaming from within. The children raced home to share their stories of the vision with their families. Before they knew it, travelers from all over Spain made the pilgrimage to El Palmar de Troya to see the Virgin Mother. Among the faithful travelers making the holy trip was curious 22-year-old Clemente Dominguez Gomez. He'd read all he could about the girl's visions, but he still wasn't sure the apparition was real. Once he arrived at the field, he realized it didn't matter if the vision was real. What mattered was the story. That alone attracted the thousands of pilgrims. So Gomez decided he'd discover his own myth to spin. To do so, he devoted himself to studying the Bible. He attended dozens of lectures by various priests on apparitions, stigmata, and the end of days. In time, he knew he'd found a way to prove his life meant something. Gomez likely figured he could use the Virgin's appearance to swap out his lousy life for one of the utmost importance. Gomez left work and visited the field nearly every day to observe the pilgrims. There, he befriended Manuel Alonso Caral, a Catholic insurance manager who was also obsessed with the vision under the mastic tree. Naturally, the two men hit it off and met almost daily at the tree. They spent so much time away from their desks that they were both fired. With nothing left to lose, on September 30th, 1969, Gomez told Corral that Christ himself appeared to him in a vision. Then, in December, Gomez began to see and hear messages from the Virgin Mary. A million stars were out the night Gomez said the Virgin Mother presented him with his mission. She demanded he rid the Catholic Church of heresy and unbelief. According to Gomez, Mary told him to abolish progressivism within the papistry and uphold the most conservative Catholic traditions. He claimed she wanted him to strike down hidden communists and Freemasons within the church's ranks. She promised if he helped her spread God's true word, she'd honor him at the end of times. Corral was floored, and Gomez had his first devout follower. Gomez likely felt no remorse for telling the lie. He realized from Corral's reaction that the best way to collect followers would be to create a commotion. So Gomez staged a series of mystical ecstasies near the tree with such charisma that anyone looking for a miracle found it in his performance. Day after day, he returned to the spot of visions. He shook his body, rolled his eyes back in his head, and appeared catatonic to signify his soul had gone elsewhere. While his efforts attracted attention, Gomez didn't gain many followers at first. He knew he had to kick it up a notch. One night, under a tree, unbeknownst to witnesses, Gomez ripped into his skin with a razor blade. Lifting his hands to the sky, he claimed to receive stigmata and called for sanctity. 
Gomez was a showman, and it didn't take long for his plan to yield results. According to his witnesses, only the most devout Catholics suffered stigmata. Gomez proved to those desperate believers that his mysterious nail wounds were real. The blood was real. They couldn't deny his holiness. Gomez's lie seduced hundreds, who then shared it with thousands, and so marked the beginning of the Palmarian Church and his ascent to infamy. Next, Clemente Dominguez Gomez declares himself the true pope, sparking vehement judgment from Catholic authorities. Hi, it's Greg. If you're looking to add some more fun to your feed, subscribe to Parcast Network's new show, Incredible Feats. Every weekday, comedian Dan Cummins, who you might recognize from the hit podcast Time Suck, explores an unbelievable account of physical strength, mental focus, or bizarre behavior. Don't miss the story of the man who broke the sound barrier while skydiving from the edge of space, or the harrowing tale of a 17-year-old girl who survived alone in a rainforest for 11 days after her plane broke apart midair, or the ultra-marathoner whose rare genetic condition lets him run for days without stopping. Incredible Feet spotlights mind-blowing achievements of everyone from world-class athletes and record breakers to scientists, architects, artists, and more. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the late 1960s, Clemente Dominguez Gomez fooled a group of religious pilgrims into thinking he suffered stigmata wounds, much like the injuries inflicted on Christ on the cross. Before long, he recruited a following of a few hundred religious zealots to spread the word that another vision of Mary would soon come again. One evening in 1970, over 40,000 people gathered to witness the Virgin Mary's rumored appearance. Gomez seized the engineered moment and gave himself over to an attention-grabbing display of spiritual rapture. His eyes fell back in his head. He lost control of his body and thrashed about. He claimed he had yet another encounter with the Holy Mother. Members in the crowd were enraptured by the spectacle, and word of this latest episode spread like wildfire. Within weeks, pilgrims lined up to join Gomez. He taught these new disciples that the end of days was approaching. He claimed they would only survive by devoting themselves to prayer, ritual, and penance, according to his particular visions. Gomez established a super-conservative doctrine, declaring his followers the chosen few, destined to save themselves from hell's depths. The seer's growing flock bought every word. In 1972, 26-year-old Gomez convinced a devout, elderly follower to donate a huge sum of money so that he could purchase the field in El Palmar de Troya. He guaranteed her the Virgin Mary would continue to appear there. The wealthy follower spent the equivalent of over $200,000 to buy the site. With this holy land, Gomez established a base for his church. 
He called the group the Palmarians. He had intentions of building a grand cathedral, but in the meantime, his faithful worshipped in the field, which gave them their namesake. For the next two years, Gomez ordained a handful of priests and bishops. However, since he wasn't recognized by the Roman Catholic Church, his ordinations meant nothing. This nearly changed in January of 1976, when he was officially ordained by Vietnamese Archbishop No Dinh Thuc. Yet while Archbishop Thuc had the religious power to ordain priests, he still needed permission from the church itself to do so. When the Pope heard that Thuc had ordained Gomez, they rejected his ordination outright. For one thing, Gomez's priests had no formal theological education. Most just wanted to be ordained quickly without attending seminary. But more importantly, Took hadn't bothered to get permission from the Vatican beforehand. This act was considered illicit, so church authorities quickly excommunicated Gomez and Took from the Catholic Church. Things got worse for Gomez on March 11, 1976, when authorities discovered Gomez with 16 of his clergymen wearing traditional priestly garb without authorization from the Catholic Church. Gomez and his men were arrested. Though it seems like a small offense, this illegal act of defiance against the Catholic Church landed Gomez and the priests in jail. Though Gomez and his Palmarian priests were only detained for a night, they spent the following three weeks in France banished or hiding out from Spanish authorities. When the group got home, local newspapers lambasted Gomez for disrespecting the church. Concerned about the bad press, Gomez decided to head back to France, where he wanted to build a new colony. Gomez and his closest followers filed into a van and made their way to the French countryside. There, he installed bishops and went door-to-door recruiting. Unfortunately, someone already had a hold on the region. Most of the locals already studied under a French mystic, Paul Poulain. The Palmarians were no match for Poulain's influence. Within weeks, even one of Gomez's newly ordained bishops abandoned Gomez and joined Poulain's spiritual army. Since Gomez wasn't drumming up any support, he knew it was time to return to Seville with his tail between his legs. But on the priest's long journey home, disaster struck. The streets were slick that stormy night in late May 1976. Their driver faced a perilous road through a windshield lacquered with rain. Gomez sat in the passenger seat while his closest follower, Corral, and several other Palmarian bishops prayed in the back. Though their driver had experience with inclement weather, the storm was monstrous. Suddenly, the priest behind the wheel realized he was about to miss his turn. He slammed his foot on the brake and cranked his wheel to the right, causing the van to hydroplane. He struggled to regain command, but it was too late. The van spun in circles to a cacophony of horns blaring. Hot white light flashed in front of Gomez like lightning. All of a sudden, his head whipped back. Broken waves of shattered glass washed over him. He felt warm blood slip into the corners of his eyes as rubber burned all around. When the van came to a halt, everything went quiet. A moment later... Gomez felt rain tap his face. He looked up to the sky to orient himself, but saw nothing except a blur of the blackest red. Then he passed out. 
Days later, Gomez woke in a hospital room in San Sebastian on Spain's northern coast. His doctors said when the van's windshield shattered, splinters of glass pummeled his eyes. The damage was severe. The surgeon said they acted fast to completely remove his eyeballs to avoid infection. The hospital staff informed him that he would never see again. The tragedy sparked a major change in Gomez, although not a good one. He began to believe his own lies. Suddenly, it seemed he had real faith. He believed his blindness was temporary, a test of his conviction. Once he'd proven to God he could withstand actual suffering, the Virgin Mother would restore his eyesight. When Gomez finally returned to El Palmar de Troya, his disciples nicknamed him the Blind Seer. To many, his survival was evidence that God protected him when he neared death's door. Following the accident, the now 32-year-old Gomez doubled down on growing his church. He asked Corral to translate his conservative teachings into a spectrum of languages to spread his message throughout Europe. In every language, Gomez created an air of superiority his flock could latch onto. It was now us versus them, the chosen versus the wicked unsaved. The Palmarians saw everyone as an enemy. Not only did Gomez preach against the official Roman Catholic Church, he also denigrated liberal activists. Gomez envisioned a Spanish Vatican in El Palmar de Troya, when he dreamt of the finished church, he saw towering pilasters, elaborate arches, ceremonial vaults, and ornate domes. Inside, he'd dedicate jeweled altars to Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and a variety of saints. Outside, there would be five-meter-high walls surrounding the sacred house. To make this vision a reality, he collected tens of thousands of dollars from well-to-do believers and forced church members to construct what he called the Cathedral Basilica of our Crowned Virgin of El Palma. Even while still under construction, no outsiders were allowed inside the cathedral. Though the sect flourished, the prospects of the cathedral weren't enough for Gomez. He had his sights set on bringing the papacy to Spain. Then, in August of 1978, Gomez got the news he'd waited for. Pope Paul VI, who shepherded the Catholic Church for the prior 15 years, had died. The night of the Pope's passing, Gomez confessed to his most trusted bishops that he'd sinned. Gomez said he slept with a young man on the eve of Pope Paul VI's death. However, he said it wasn't of his own volition. He told his priests that Christ appeared to him, demanding he sin so he could fully forgive sinfulness in others. He claimed Christ promised him the papal crown. After confessing to his bishops, Gomez assumed the title of Pope Gregorio XVII of the Order of the Carmelites of the Holy Face. He said the name was divinely bestowed upon him, but the Catholic Church didn't see things the same way. They elected Pope John Paul II and ignored Pope Gregorio's claim. Still, the newly self-appointed Pope Gregorio had several orders of business he couldn't wait to address. He immediately canonized the recently deceased Spanish dictator, Francisco Franco. He also posthumously deemed fascist leader José Antonio Primo de Rivera and explorer Christopher Columbus saints. Pope Gregorio marked such actions by hosting wild, days-long parties where food and wine overflowed. 
The blind seer reportedly had relations with a bevy of sexual partners, both male and female. But as the apparition of Christ had already given him clearance to sin, Gregorio experienced no shame. Gregorio enjoyed hearing the gasps from his acolytes when he regaled them with tales of his exploits. He was desperate for attention, manic in his pursuit of it. If he said one thing but did another, he could keep his congregants focused on him. For this reason, it seemed, Pope Gregorio left no detail unmentioned, not even when it came to relaying stories of sexual incontinence. Having spent decades mutilating his own body to convince others he had stigmata, Gregorio became desensitized to the practice's danger. Under the hand of their sadistic anti-pope, the Palmarian Church glorified self-mutilation as a means of penance. In his article, The Psychology of Sadomasochism, psychiatrist Neil Burton wrote, The sadist may derive pleasure from feelings of power, authority, and control and may harbor a conscious or unconscious desire to punish the object of sexual attraction. Sadism can also be a defensive strategy. So following his sadistic impulses, Gregorio endured his seat of ultimate power among his disciples. But the pain he inflicted on them was more than emotional. It was physically abusive. This was most apparent in 1982, when a young disciple decided to follow Gregorio's footsteps. The boy deeply desired purity and wanted to be ordained in the Palmarian Church. One morning, after a stirring sermon by Pope Gregorio, the novice ran to grab his Bible. He was hell-bent on finding a passage the blind seer mentioned. When he flipped to the Gospel of Matthew, he came across the quote, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Without hesitation, the boy snuck into the kitchen of the home he shared with other devout followers and grabbed a knife. On the way back to his room, he repeated under his breath that it was better to lose an eye than to be cast to hell. The young Palmarian ducked into a hallway closet and shut the door. In the blackness, he punctured his eye and muffled his scream. Writhing in pain, the devotee felt he hadn't gone far enough. There was something else he needed to gouge out and throw away, something dirty and evil. In anguish, he lowered the knife to his genitals. In one fell swoop, the boy castrated himself. Finally chased, he exhaled and blacked out. It was hours before any other follower noticed he was gone. It was precisely the type of devotion Pope Gregorio had always longed for. Up next, Pope Gregorio acts promiscuously while requiring his bishops and nuns to lead celibate lives. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. 
Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. Throughout the 1970s, Clemente Dominguez Gomez defied the Catholic hierarchy again and again. He appointed himself Pope Gregorio and ordained dozens of bishops and nuns. According to the Palmarian Church, he drew in around 10,000 followers worldwide by the 1980s, though the actual number may be much smaller. As his sect grew, he stripped them of confidence and instilled in them the fear of eternity in hell. In the case of one young devotee, Gregorio inspired self-mutilation to the point of castration. While the young man was rushed to the hospital and survived, Gregorio cast him out of the church. It was par for the course. Gregorio only ever thought of himself and wanted to distance himself from a potential public scandal. He placed no value on his disciples, who came from all over the world. Many of the international followers merely made the pilgrimage to Spain, then returned home weeks later to recruit new members. But others were so taken with Gregorio's charisma, they stayed in Seville to devote themselves fully to a pious life. Before joining the convent, many women held jobs, but under Pope Gregorio, they weren't allowed to pursue careers. Instead, he forced them to spend long days arduously digging ditches and laboring on the land. He only let them read his own work, Rule of the Order, and forbade them from listening to the news to protect them from the world's wickedness. Gregorio demanded the more devout nuns wear crippling boned corsets, long skirts, and veils to cover their faces even during the hottest Spanish summers. At dawn, his priests picked the sisters up at their convents in Seville in a fleet of white vans and drove them to the basilica to attend long masses and devotions. Palmarians believed they should accept agony as an act of restitution for the sins of humanity. So the nuns did their hard physical work without complaining. Pope Gregorio created more suffering in his sect by keeping their lives unpredictable. He required long starvation periods, followed by longer stints of forced eating. The Palmarian Pope claimed this was in the name of penitence. However, it's more likely that Gregorio merely wanted to stay at the forefront of their minds. Though the cathedral was incomplete, Pope Gregorio required his nuns and priests to enter its unfinished walls and attend his interminable masses. There, Gregorio ordered his disciples to practice what he called brazos and cruz. These were hours-long sessions where devotees prayed standing upright, with their arms extended as if making a cross. Finally, after hours of listening to his sermons, he'd allow them to return home around 1.30 a.m., when the priests drove the nuns 25 miles back to Seville every day, they screamed their prayers at the top of their lungs to keep the bishop drivers awake. Sadly, it didn't always work. 
Despite their best efforts, Palmarian nuns and bishops ended up in several traffic accidents. Usually they survived, but sometimes the late-night collisions were fatal. Though priests and nuns lost their lives, Pope Gregorio refused to change their schedules. The grueling labor, paired with inconsistent food supply and lack of sleep, deeply affected the physical and mental health of many Palmarians. In some, the torture even led to psychotic episodes. Psychologist Miguel Perlado treated several of Gomez's followers after they left the church. He said, The young people who get out are lost. They have a big problem with their identity. They've been emotionally abused and brainwashed into feeling terrified of Satan. According to Dr. Perlado, former Palmarian disciples continued to struggle with their mental health for years, leading to some drug addiction and chronic panic attacks. While Pope Gregorio forced his followers to live in austere circumstances, he and his closest bishops enjoyed all Seville had to offer. The blind pope dined lavishly with his men at the city's finest restaurants, where they drank heavily. They often stayed in luxury hotels. In a way, Pope Gregorio practiced a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do form of religious leadership, but he never attempted to hide his bad behavior. His hypocrisy was well on display as he sat front row at bullfights and, more nights than not, frequented well-known bars. The inebriated pope was melodramatic, bitter, and slimy in his drunkenness. He accosted anyone and everyone, high from the attention. Perhaps he needed others to see him acting out. Neuroscientist Bill Gordon wrote a piece called Excessive Attention-Seeking and Drama Addiction for Psychology Today. In it, he wrote, Excessive attention-seeking is a brain-wiring response to early developmental trauma caused by neglect. Newborns are extremely dependent on getting their mother's attention for survival. The more their needs are neglected during early development, the more the child equates getting attention with survival and safety. In turn, the more he or she develops the belief system that it is necessary to go to whatever lengths to get attention. If Gregorio's mother and father were unavailable in his earliest years when he needed their care, then this could explain why his attention-seeking patterns became locked in. On May 18, 1982, 36-year-old Pope Gregorio's desperation for attention reached new heights when he drunkenly conceived a scheme to defy the Vatican once again. Pope John Paul II had announced a visit to a convent in Alba de Tormes, where the remains of St. Teresa of Avila were kept. According to rumors, Gregorio convinced several of his men to drive there with him and steal them. Once inside the monastic stone walls, a drunken Gregorio and his inebriated men clanged and clamored, disrupting the quiet contemplation of the nuns. When the Palmarians had the sisters' attention, they called out that John Paul II was the anti-pope, and they wished he was dead. Pilgrims who had spent the night at the convent pushed Pope Gregorio and his bishops into the street. Suddenly, a fight broke out. Quickly, the nuns rang the convent bells as a cry for help. In minutes, a brawl that began between a few people snowballed into a riot. Townspeople rushed to the convent to take down the false pope and his men. Locals threw vegetables at Pope Gregorio and his group. 
Though the Palmarians made a run for it, they were unsuccessful. The villagers grabbed the bishops, beating whoever they could catch. Then they drove one of their cars into the river. By the time the mayor arrived to restore order, the mob had lost itself in chaos. The villagers cried, lynch them all. As they chanted, they beat Pope Gregorio and his bishops within an inch of their lives. Had law enforcement arrived a minute or two later, the unruly crowd may have followed through with lynching the intruders. To escape the fight, Pope Gregorio and his men hid in the convent until the National Guard came to their rescue. The very nuns they so flagrantly harassed treated their wounds. Though the Palmarians had disturbed the peace, the authorities let them go. In the end, the mayor of Alba de Tormes likely feared that if he pressed charges, it would reflect poorly on his constituents. The Palmarians got off scot-free. After his reception in Alba de Tormes, Pope Gregorio grew paranoid that there were adversaries everywhere. To keep a tight watch on his flock, he prohibited his followers from communicating with anyone who wasn't a practicing Palmarian. This meant that many of his members began to ignore their sons and daughters who didn't agree with Pope Gregorio. Even if a family lived together, there was to be silence between believers and non-believers. One former member said his Palmarian parents iced him out of their lives. After he left the church, his family refused to set a spot for him at the dinner table and gave him an ultimatum to leave the house within six months. Beyond emotionally abusing his followers, Pope Gregorio was accused of several instances of physical abuse. For one thing, he continued to encourage self-mutilation among his members. In the 1990s, a group of Palmarian priests sought hospital treatment after simultaneously piercing their penises with gold rings. According to the priests, they'd followed their Holy Father's example, as he'd previously told them that he'd mutilated his own testicles. While they believed they were committing a holy act of penance, the sadistic Pope just wanted them to feel the pain he'd known his whole life. He wanted everyone to hurt. As the new millennium approached, Gregorio's shocking behavior flourished. In a drastic attempt to gain even more power over his disciples, he declared that the Bible used by other Catholics was false. It had been manipulated by evil people within the church. Gregorio said he was divinely inspired to write a new Palmarian holy book and wanted to circulate it as quickly as possible. His members accepted his word as gospel and devoured the newly written teachings. While news of the coming apocalypse would be disconcerting to most, Palmarians rejoiced. They knew they'd be saved. But it seemed Gregorio had finally begun to reflect on his life in earnestness. By 1997, the 51-year-old realized that the Virgin Mary would not be restoring his eyesight and fell into a depression. His drunken outbursts and abuse became worse and more frequent. He admitted to having abused several priests and nuns. Between the mid-1990s and the year 2000, the numbers of his faithful declined dramatically. But Pope Gregorio continued to lead his most loyal members until March 21, 2005, when the 59-year-old leader lost his life in Utrera, Spain. The rumor was he died during a vision while giving an impassioned Easter sermon. But in reality, the cause of his death remains unknown. 
While his disciples mourned his loss, they anticipated the return of Christ at any moment. Of course, Armageddon never came. Meanwhile, the rest of the world went on without a hiccup. Most Roman Catholics have never heard of Pope Gregorio, so his death meant nothing. Though the church never recognized him, the Palmarians continued his legacy. After Gregorio's passing, his closest follower from the early days under the mastic tree, Manuel Corral, assumed the Palmarian papal title as Pope Peter II until his death in 2011. The Palmarian Church still exists. The cathedral was finally completed in 2014, after over 30 years of constant construction. Today, the church is under the new leadership of a Swiss man named Marcus Joseph Odermont, who is called Pope Peter III. The group targets the elderly and lonely as potential new members. They've recently launched a Palmarian Church website and are active on social media. Though the cathedral's doors remain closed to strangers, inside, Pope Gregorio's followers still pray to the Blessed Virgin and await Armageddon. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Clemente Dominguez Gomez and the Palmarian Church, amongst the many sources we used, we found A Pope of Their Own, El Palmar de Troya and the Palmarian Church by Magnus Lundberry, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brendan Hawkins. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Cults was written by John Levinson. With writing assistance by Giles Hofseth. And stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Remember to follow Incredible Feats for mind-reeling stories of strength, focus, and achievement. Comedian and podcaster Dan Cummins hosts, bringing his signature humor to these extreme accounts. You might be glad you've never lived these stories, but you'll love hearing them. Subscribe to Incredible Feats free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.